welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, welcome to the chat show where we talk about employment, employment for everyone, which is the focus area. And there are two forces, empathy and innovation, which is really uh, creating and promoting employment for, for everyone. Um, uh, on this topic, we've been talking about uh, uh, empathy to the, 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 the tech leaders, leaders from the tech world, leaders from the disability community, and uh, uh, some amazing uh, thought leaders from the staffing industry. Uh, our today uh, topic uh, for today is uh, can AI, artificial intelligence, automate empathy? And uh, uh, we could not have asked for a better guest to talk about it. Uh, we are joined by Oni Parekh, uh, Strategic Partner Manager, Community Partnership at Facebook. Oni is passionate in building empathetic communities uh, that are uh, incubators uh, of opportunities and ideas. Uh, starting from her work in India, born and brought up in US, uh, starting uh, her work in India in women empowerment to, to countrywide community uh, development. Her journey is, is, is just an amazing journey and I was just amazed and thrilled uh, about uh, you know how she started her journey building building uh, communities in India and now she's at Facebook. So with that, um, Oni, welcome, welcome to the chat uh, uh, chat show, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I've seen a couple of your episodes. I need to catch up on all forty seven, but I I love the depth of conversation and happy to contribute to what we're trying to build. Thank you so much. Uh, so, Oni, let's start with with your journey. And I know you. Uh, we were just talking earlier. Uh, just amazing uh, journey. How you got into um, building communities and helping hundreds of thousands of people and making an impact truly globally, uh, from India to to Singapore to United States. Uh, truly global journey. So, tell us a little bit about you and your journey. Yeah, I could tell you that likely this journey of wanting to build communities and spaces for people to feel like they're at home really started when I was a kid and I was an only child. I used to ask for brothers and sisters for Christmas and then, you know, expectedly run under a Christmas tree and see whether, you know, my new brother or sister was in a gift box waiting somewhere. And so I always craved to have more people around um, and then growing up learned that I was an extrovert and truly got energy from others. Um, and uh, since I've had so many lives, I will keep the story of my journey short, but since we're talking and we're broadcasting this, if anyone is interested, feel free to message me and I'm happy to share a little bit more. But I think I first realized that communities can be a really powerful tool for change. Um, when, you know, I was uh, first in India studying abroad um, when I was in college and I got very into this idea of microfinance. It was a big deal at the time. Microfinance yeah. was everything. And so as I was learning about the Grameen Bank and its model, 
I got involved in my study abroad project, which was studying microfinance um, in New Delhi, um, where I was based for this one to two month intensive project and went into these communities of thieves, people who were known for stealing and an NGO had brought in microfinance to see whether they could transform the community but the, the work was really working with women of the community and helping them learn how to build stuffed animals or soft toys, as they were called in India. And so through this microfinance self-help group slash income generation program, um, these women were bringing an income into their family and then got into positions of additional power because the men would go off and steal. And so finally, once the women were bringing in income, the NGO was trying to see whether the incidences of stealing would decrease. And they did find that there was less stealing once there was a stable source of income. And the women were the ones that brought it in. So something stuck in my mind that, wow, if you really give women the means to lift up the family, they will do so and society will change. You know, the city changed because of that. Um, so I thought that was really cool. And then just sort of moved into, started, started working in the nonprofit sector myself. I've worked in domestic violence. Um, I've worked in, um, in the Southern US and North Carolina, my home state with providing access to credit for marginalized communities, mainly black and brown communities in Eastern North Carolina through credit unions. Um, and then have gone back and forth to India several times to either start or launch things. So the last thing was a, a platform to help young people get confidential counseling about healthy relationships and sexual health, which are super taboo in India. And so yeah. create a chat since they're already online, they're already on Facebook, they're already using WhatsApp, they're already using Snapchat so that they can ask those questions to qualified counselors. So did that and then found myself um, helping to build Shiro's, which is um, a, a building the internet for women based out of India. Um, truly revolutionizing women's communities because women didn't have a safe place to go on the internet. Um, mm -hmm. Facebook was filled with people in your chat box, you know, asking all kinds of scary things. And so they wanted to build the safe space. So help them build and seed the first 30 communities for women on the platform, train the community managers, help to launch their one-on-one -on -one counseling helpline because we had been doing that at my startup and then eventually found myself at Facebook very randomly, just because I went to a meeting that Facebook was holding in New Delhi and they said, hey, we're, we're, we're interested in supporting communities. And I had already, I had always done the community, very little resources. And so coming to Facebook was like, what would it be like to actually have resources to do this? So here I am. And now I get to support um, really fantastic communities um, in the US with coaching and thought partnership. And I just try to become a part of their team and help them grow and sustain themselves. Wow, wow, what a what an amazing journey. And I really admire how you took your passion, your extrovert personality and really connected to something which has uh, a huge societal impact. And you went all the way to India 
and and started uh, building some of those communities it's really just amazing journey so just tell me and i know this is this is something which i can i can see from your journey and some of the projects you have worked on is you have really truly built a there must be a method or a science how how you you and others uh, has really has been building this communities tell tell us a little bit about that because that is i'm pretty sure there is very interesting um thought process and your learnings from from all these years of experience yeah absolutely i mean i learned by doing and so i didn't even realize it was a skill a hard skill or that there was a science to it until i until i started meeting other people who we would call community leaders or community managers in this day and age back when i was doing it there wasn't even a name for it it was either called activism or it was called you know social media management or um, base building because you if when you're working in nonprofits and ngos that's what you do mm-hmm. but um now you know even facebook has launched a community manager certification program and it's testing on these hard skills and you get a two year certification if you pass the exam um i'm recognizing that there are uh you know everything from building the strategy beforehand to identifying a core audience so some like sort of hardcore marketing skills i guess we would we would call them to mapping out the ways that you really reach the hearts and minds of that core audience that you're trying to reach using content and even just thinking about the voice that you're going to use in a community mm-hmm. you know are you going to have a a a funny and casual voice are you going to use a very professional brand voice are you going to be um a best friend voice uh that uh supports and is always nurturing so thinking through all those steps and then relying on KPIs to measure your success at every step of the way so after sort of meeting more people like me i realized oh there's actually a science and so i think like those are some of the thinking things that you go through when you're starting to to think about building a community but i see leaders moving from that stage to thinking about monetization and sustainability and turning communities into institutions and organizations that are lasting and have a have a lasting impact so all of those things are are things to consider in the process of building a community and so i've come to to know each part of that process and and um some of them i don't like very much but some of them i love and uh i think that's been really rewarding to recognize that like these are hard skills and you can actually teach this too yeah yeah in fact i have some first hand experience in conversations with some of these community leaders and they've been uh, like you know that okay i'm at certain stage now i want to formalize this i want to set up my ngos or not for profit and get 501c3 and 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 take it and put together my board of advisors and take it to the next level mm-hmm. that's so true and and that's just amazing how um how it is evolving and it's impacting and these are really truly very passionate people who is really you know started something uh, just as an idea and 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 then it has just uh, uh, taken off uh, so um uh, what do you think what role the technology and i'm 
pretty sure the Facebook platform is playing some role. So what role does technology play in, in building communities uh, in your views? Yeah, I mean, commun- you know, communities are not new, right? Like we've, we've been, we've all been part of a tribe since humans like first started roaming the earth. And so those were the earliest forms of communities. Um, they were face to face, they were in real life. We relied on them to keep ourselves safe and protected from saber toothed tigers and woolly mammoths. And, you know, now moving into the age of the internet, which, you know, I'm sort of fortunate to have lived through as a woman of a certain age. I can see that technology allows us to create and scale, you know, lean startup methodology the heck out of building communities because you can test, retest, prototype, reprototype as much as you want. Not every community that you build is gonna take off. And um, technology allows you to just write the loss off, right? So you can start a Facebook group, for example, and if it doesn't stick, it doesn't stick. It could just be something that you do for fun. But if it does, then you start thinking about these other questions of how do I build structure? How do I build a team? Do I want to formalize this? So I think it's it it's allowed uh, an incredible amount of, of experimentation in community building. The second part of this is just pure accessibility, right? And so if you're somebody that can't go and meet hundreds of people face to face. You can sit behind a computer or on your phone and have access to all of these people in the economy of attention. And so I think that's really incredible. Since both of us love this conversation about accessibility, what does that mean for people of different abilities, people with disabilities, uh, allies in the disability space? So I think it's about being able to quickly um, build and scale for people who have traditionally been left out of communities themselves or Mm -hmm. spaces themselves. You can find your people and then you can build on a platform like Facebook or many others and and, uh, quickly get to a critical mass where you can begin to think and dream about other things. Yeah, oh my God, that is so amazing. Right, and and a lot of times when you have this kind of conversation, it just hit you. And uh, when you were talking, I thought of our color skit community, mm-hmm. which we we built this technology. Uh, we started in 2010, 12, 14 during that time, and we uh, it was we tried to build the, the same community for special needs education for schools and all that, which didn't take off means took means it we really struggled but now today we are kind of replicating the same model similar model for employment and building the community uh, at workplace for people on the spectrum neurodivergent people and people with disabilities and and uh, uh, that is that is so true sometimes it works sometimes and there is there is definitely a sign um, I would like to switch gears a little bit, and uh, today's topic is on on empathy and AI. With AI in the spotlight, uh, uh, do you think empathy can really be automated? <laughs> I'm laughing because i i have I have two very strong thoughts about this. So my core says no, right? I. Mm-hmm. I I don't think so. I think this is always going to remain a very human 
thing because it's a very human need, right? Efficiency does not require empathy. Um, scale does not require empathy. However, it's a very human need that it's it's like one of the things that makes us tick. We want to feel understood. We want to understand. And so I'm not sure that it can be automated by current technology for sure. Um, I know just give you an example, like, you know, Nish, if, if you and Melinda and I were sitting in a room together, the mm -hmm. type of feeling and connection we would have from this conversation and just like vibing off of each other would be, is completely different, but we're doing this on a, on a digital platform and it's rewarding, but it's very different from having that cup of tea or coffee with somebody and feeling their energy and seeing their emotions and, and taking in the surroundings. And so I think there's a fundamental part of us, of us that's always going to hunger for that. And I say that as somebody who has survived this pandemic and is hungry for that type of feeling transmission between other humans. And I see a lot of people, especially my peers saying the same thing. I don't know if there any, anyone else, if, if you're watching this and you're in the comments, let me know, do you, do you have a need to feel and, and, and connect with people in a deeper way now that the world potentially is opening up or are you cool with, um, doing things this way. So that's sort of my first take. My second take though is, is that it can potentially um, uh, automate empathy, but up to a certain point, right? And so you can train an AI to respond and say the right things. Yeah. You can. Um, and I think about that movie, Her, if you've seen that movie with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Um, I think you can you can find ways to do that, but it's still never going to be the full experience. So I'm just waiting to see what happens. Like yeah. here, here for the ride. What do you think, Nish? Uh, I 100% agree. Agree with you. The uh, empathy can be transferred into an algorithm to build some technology around it, but that human touch, that spontaneous response and reaction. And uh, uh, the way our brain works and empathy is all about how we process the information and how we react and respond and, and give that uh, you know, action, right? Because it's not about empathy. Sympathy maybe can be built by technology because sympathy is just about talking. And, and I just learned from uh, someone in my previous, uh, he said empathy is all about action. So yes if we can put together an uh, algorithm which maybe do some activities and take some actions uh, along with uh, uh, that yes it's possible but are we there yet or is that maybe not in our lifetime and i would love to see it if it's if it happens it, it will be great um but yeah, I mean, it, and, and still it will be, there will be, it won't be perfect. And another thing which I always uh, talk about empathy is empathy. Every one of us has a limit on empathy. Like we start with ourselves, then the family, then our friends, and then then the society, and the community, and the, the city and state. And some of us are talking about global and say, how can we fix, how can we uh, make the world better? So everyone has a range. 
So I would say when we talk about the technology, maybe technology will have also a range at certain area. It can reach up to certain area. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I love that you said that because the one thing that struck me as as someone who tends to be almost overly empathetic at some points in time, and I've had to learn how to build protections for myself and build boundaries on my empathy because, you know, there's a there's a specter of empathy for empathy's sake, but if you go out into the world like a sponge, it hurts, right? And so a lot of my sensitive people, if you're in, you know, if you're in the chat and you you're you're listening to this, let me know. Raise your hand. Um, so do we want to scale that i think is an ethical question because for people who are sort of really empathetic and already over feeling that can be very painful because empathy is both all sides of the coin right the beauty and the pain and and i think what i've learned at least personally is that it's a it's a journey of the self you know, you have to sort of become self-aware. It's a self-actualization, almost a spiritual exercise to be to to build empathy into your life. And so that's everyone's own journey on this planet. And while we can raise awareness about the need for it and talk about it, if we automate it, then it could become dangerous and it could limit. Um, you can become numb to things very easily as a human being. And so do we want that by overexposure? I think is like the other the other thing that what your comment brought to yeah. mind really made me feel. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, you know you talk about empathy in personal life, but what are your thoughts on um, um, what are the ways empathy at workplace? Right, we talk about this empathetic culture at workplace at Rangam. I talk about mm -hmm. empathy is driving innovation at Rangam every day. How what are the ways um, empathy at workplace can be promoted and and why it is important in your view? Yeah, I, I I have very strong opinions about this as somebody who has worked in very small outfits or on my own for most of my career, right? Really small organizations. And now I work for a mega corporation. Mm -hmm. So I've seen a workplace where empathy is the norm because we're small and we have to be human with each other because that's the only way work gets done right um versus now coming into a corporate setting where there are a lot of things that can be transactional because of the size you don't have the capacity to open yourself up in that way however anytime i have done so and focused on human connection rather than what do we need to get done for this project it has served me well and mm -hmm. so i think that the place of it is is the work that you do having a deep root in collaboration that stems from empathy for everyone working with you right and you know they say you never know what somebody is going through and so sometimes stepping back when you're moving really fast especially in the tech sector and and taking stock and saying what might, what might that person be feeling what could be their motivations and then opening up a conversation about that right if you take the 10 or 15 minutes of every meeting to check in as humans um which which one of my colleagues just spoke to me about this. she's like you know some of my one-on-ones with my team members are just talking about life. I trust them to do their work, 
they're yeah. good but we just talk about what's going on for them and i think like especially in this virtual age since i haven't gone to an office in a year and a half yeah it's more important increasingly that can fuel your day a little bit more than the conversation about okay how are we moving from a to b let's talk about timelines yeah that conversation is very helpful too but now increasingly i can see that these human conversations are popping up into into like all of my work calls and so i think like that's the place for it in the workplace if you yeah. can connect human to human you do better work you feel more fulfilled you uh, you will likely have more loyalty to that company right yeah. you're feeling seen and heard and validated and um overall your productivity is probably going to be a little bit higher because you feel cared for and you yeah. also care. So I think the place is very firmly set and should be firmly set. And it's a culture thing. You have to start from the top. You have to yeah. care from the top and, and model from the bottom. And um, I've seen instances where that hasn't been done and we're trying to change it and, I, and, and trying to lead that change from, from the inside. And I've seen it be a core and parcel to everything and every iota of a company's work from small to big. And I think Facebook does a really good job of like, when you come into the company, they say, this is now your company. It's one of the principles and values that they hold. And what that means is, is that you're responsible for the way that we feel here. All of us are. And so we're all building this together. And I, I think I, I really like that as a value. And so I feel like that has a lot to do with, with how empathetic, you know, a, a corporation like Facebook with, you know, I think what, 10,000 10, employees, over 10,000, no, 30,000, something really big, lots of employees um, has. That to me is so curious because it's hard to scale that. Mm -hmm. But I see it. And I see large pockets of it. And so that gives me hope. Absolutely. That human to human interaction is really, it's in, in, in my case, uh, you know, at least a couple of calls in a day dedicated and you, as you rightly said about partnership and collaboration. And when we are working on any, any initiatives or solution, which has a societal impact, that whole collaboration and that one-on-one -on -one and human to human interaction, it just, gives you a lot of energy that's that's my personal experience it just take away all the tiredness and all the critical thinking and say let's just talk about see what's happening how is life how what's happening with the family and and let me tell you my personal experience in last few few months when uh, a lot of our team members in india are going through a lot of uh, challenges and i set up the call uh, early morning before i start my day um, I said, let me just pick up the phone and start talking. And it was just amazing, right? That empathetic conversation because then we understand, we learn, and then uh, uh, you know how do we how do we uh, bring a change to the organization? What can we do to support each other? And talking about uh, uh, community and empathy, right? Uh, I think that's what uh, this combining this concept or or the culture of. Empathy and building community at workplace. That's what this conversation. So, to before we conclude, we have a few more minutes left. But I would love to learn, understand from you, and learn how do we build this inclusive community, uh, and 
and what empathy plays a part. So if you combine community, which is your passion and your expertise and you're passionate about empathy, how is this two things are working together or can work together? We're coming out of Pride Month, you know, this is this is like June 30th. And so I had a lot of colleagues that organized Pride events um, internally at Facebook this year. And there's some things about this month that taught me a lot about showing up as an ally and just being empathetic and, and building this community internally. What I learned from them this year was that, you know, you're you have to overcome the feeling of getting it wrong when you're trying to be inclusive. You're, you are going to get it wrong. That's a part of the learning process. And so de-risking the stigma of being wrong, especially being wrong in public or being wrong at the workplace and knowing that part of the journey and the learning journey is that you're, you're going to mess up. Um, how much did we learn about that during the racial reconciliation conversation that started last summer in the U.S., right? I definitely got schooled in a lot of my perceptions about how the Asian and South Asian community shows up for the Black community. And so I think, like, that's the one thing that I've, I've learned is that, like, we have to make it safe to be wrong. And um, we also need to the other thing that strikes me about allyship and inclusion is is something that was sort of reiterated to me this year is it's not about you. Mm-hmm. You have to know when to shut up and step back and offer the space at the table to the people that do not have that access and do not have that voice. And each one of us can use our privilege to do so. And so in thinking about empathy, if I can feel that somebody is not getting that space, it's not my time sometimes to step in as mama bear and speak for them, but it's to leave the spotlight and say, you know, and gently push forward um, and encourage and, um the what strikes me sometimes is like Michelle Obama talks about shine theory, you know, is that we all use our voices to support the one voice that hasn't spoken yet, or it might be a little bit weaker. And we all reiterate that one message. I use shine theory all the time. Like we were going to pre-coordinate on what we need to say and the point we need to land to make sure that we can get this change across the table. And so I think that's some of the ways that I see like us being really empathetic, but I think empathy can force us to, to, to come into protection space, you know, like, like I said, the mama bear or like the tiger and increasingly I'm seeing, I'm seeing the lesson being it's time for me to step back. Yeah. I have a big Yes, I'm an extrovert, but it, this moment is not about me. And I think like that's been a big lesson for me professionally and how I think in the workplace, empathy can play out and we can really start to foster trust and community because we can step back and help those other voices to rise up and then come back together, all to all together and talk about it. Right, and then that's really how you start to build momentum and community around sometimes difficult conversations or things that people are going through. So I would offer that to to this esteemed committee that's listening and, and to you today. Those have been some things that I've been thinking about really 
um, really intensely over the past month. Amazing, amazing. Oh my God. It's amazing how you brought both, um, you know, the community and the empathy together and how um, that that can really create uh, uh, impact. And thank you for sharing, sharing wisdom and some great thoughts. Uh, uh, I will definitely going to replay this video and, and make more notes. I have a couple of small uh, sticky notes, but some amazing learnings for me personally, Yoni. Thank you so much for sharing some amazing things. Every time when I talk to you, I've learned something new. Um, and uh, it has been just an amazing journey uh, or a conversation with, with you. Thank you for your time and thank you for joining us today. No, it's my pleasure. And thank you for having me, Nish and Melinda, for your magic in making sure that people who are hearing impaired can enjoy this conversation. We love you. And if you have any questions about community building or leading with your heart, you know where to find me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm probably on everything. Let's chat. Excellent. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you, Omni. I wish we could have continued. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We will continue our conversation on empathy and innovation and employment. Uh, same time next week, uh, uh, same time uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern. Again, thank you for your time and uh, stay healthy and stay safe. Thank you, Omni. And uh, thank you, Melinda, for great work. Thank you. Take care.